And you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be in Galatians 5 today, so grab your Bible. There's a Bible on the pew in front of you. If you forgot, I can turn there on your phone or your tablet or whatever. Galatians 5, uh, just a bit of a family news update. Uh, Tim Lumley is doing much better. Uh, prayer request went out on uh, Friday. Thursday night, uh, Tim was having trouble breathing. An ambulance was called. He was sent to the ICU in Windsor and was put on a breathing machine. Um, as of yesterday, he's off the machine. He's doing much better. Uh, the hope is he'll come home tomorrow uh, if everything keeps moving in the right direction. So thank you for praying for that. You can continue to pray for that. Uh, Tim, we miss you if you're watching this morning, and we're excited for you to come home to us. All right, Galatians 5. Here at Meadowbrook, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we want to meet you where you're at and help you take those next steps. And so we focus on that primarily three ways, upward, inward, and outward. We want to take our next steps upward in our relationship with him, our connection with him, our knowledge of him, our communion with him. We want to take our next steps inward as he does his work in us, as he transforms us to make us more like Jesus. And we want to take our next steps outward as we live this out and as we engage with other people and as we seek to bring the gospel to people in Leamington and to the ends of the earth. And so we have been in a series for the last number of weeks that we've called The Freedom Gospel. We've been walking through the book of Galatians and Lord willing, we'll wrap this up next week. And so uh, we've had uh, just a fascinating journey, as I've said, just a very rich book of the Bible, very dense. Uh, every chapter's got so much stuff in it to unpack and dig into. If you've missed any messages, you can catch up on those online. And we will be wrapping Wrapping it up next Sunday, and uh, so as we do Galatians 5, Galatians 6 will be next week. Two weeks from today is our water baptism service, which we're excited about. We have five candidates who are going into the waters, and we will take time to celebrate them. Yeah, we can, we can celebrate early, sure. Uh, we'll take time to celebrate them. We also have 10 other additional people who are joining church membership. And uh, as Susan mentioned in the announcements, we'll have a barbecue that day afterwards uh, where we kind of wrap up the ministry year and just have a great day of celebration. So we hope you'll be there with us in a couple of weeks for baptism and barbecue. That's just a good Sunday right there. That's just a good reason to come to church uh, as if we didn't have other good reasons already. So the freedom gospel, the freedom gospel, the word gospel means good news. And that my heart in walking through this series has been let's just refresh ourselves in how good the good news really is. Let's refresh ourselves in the goodness of the good news because it can happen when you know the story really well, when you live the story all the time, when you've been to going to church for a long time, you can actually start to forget or, or take it for granted or, or even if you're not literally forgetting it, it can lose some of its passion and some of its power. So my heart has been, let's just refresh ourselves in how good the good news really is. That even though we were lost in sin, that even though we all have turned away from God, even though we did that to ourselves and because of that reaped the consequences of separation from God and then the effects of our sin and ultimately death itself, God was not willing to leave us there. He loved us too much, Scripture said. He loved us too much to leave us there. And so he came after us in Jesus. And as Jesus comes to earth, he shows us the perfect way to live. He shows us what the Father looks like and, and what God looks like. He said, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To look at me is to look at the Father. And then he goes to the cross and he pays the price for our sin. And then he rises from the dead and deals with death as a problem once and for all. And then he invites us back into the family of God. That God was not willing to leave us wandering and lost and, and bound on our own. That he came ultimately to bring us back to himself. 
to bring us back to God. And that's good news. And so we've been refreshing ourselves in that through the series. And as we've been going through, we've also been looking at the freedom involved in that and the blessing involved in that. And Paul wants to hit over and over again in the book of Galatians that you do nothing to make this happen. You do nothing to earn this. You do nothing to get into God's good standing. You do nothing to make your way back into heaven. It is all him doing everything, and it comes to you as a gift. What you do is receive the gift, but you, you contribute nothing. You accomplish nothing. It's all an act of God. So even though we're the ones who screwed it all up, he's the one that solves it entirely. He solves every part of it, and he brings us back into peace with himself. And there's freedom that comes with that. And it's freedom from sin, obviously. It's freedom from death, obviously. It's freedom from fear. It's freedom from separation. But it's also, as we've seen in Galatians, freedom from this idea that you do have to earn it, that you have to follow the law really well. You have to follow the rules really well. If you follow the law really well, if you follow God's rules really well, eventually maybe you'll earn your way into right standing. It's freedom from the tyranny of that. That working, 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 never knowing where you're at, never knowing if you've done enough, never knowing if God is pleased with you. We're free from that as well. So it's not just freedom from the big stuff. It's freedom from everything else that we would carry that was just so difficult, the heavy burden of being separated from God and not knowing how to get back. Jesus frees us from all of that too. And again, brings us back to himself. We're coming up in just a few weeks to uh, Independence Day in the States and Canada Day here in Canada, the beginning of July. Uh, that's the, a picture of the Statue of Liberty, July, July 4th, 1776, uh, when America declared its freedom. Our stories are somewhat similar and also really different at the same time, uh, the Canadian story and the American story. We're going to focus on the American story just because it's a little more dramatic. So in the American story, uh, they, like Canada, were a British colony. They were not an independent country. They were British. And as British uh, members, they were loyal to the crown. And as they were loyal to the crown, the crown got to do whatever it wanted to do because it's a crown, right? When you're the king, you get to make all the rules. And so America began to resent that heavy taxes were being placed on the Americans to help pay for things in England. Uh, there was a big empire to support, and there was a lot of luxury in the crown that needed to be supported, and so the king needed money. And so rather than tax his own people, where they might be unhappy, he would tax the colonies all around the world because they were less likely to get that upset with him. And so heavy taxes were placed on the Americans, and the Americans had no say in it. And they began to resent both of those things, that they were being taxed heavily, but also they had no representation. They couldn't really have the ear of the king. They couldn't bring a grievance. They had no self determination. Everything was just ordered to them by a king across the ocean. Uh, they had no freedom, and so they began to resent and eventually push back and fight back against this tyranny. And so on July 4, 1776, they declare their independence. A war breaks out, the American Revolution. Uh, over many years and much bloodshed, uh, America finally wins the war. America is given their freedom by the British. Canada, and this is such a Canadian thing, uh, America like grabbed their guns and said, don't tell us what to do and fought a war. When Canada wanted its freedom, we had a bunch of committee meetings for like another 90 years. And we got to the same place. It was just much more peaceful. And you can decide which one is better. Uh, violence gets things done quickly. Uh, the peaceful way usually 
usually takes longer, but nobody has to die. And so we landed in the same place. But as America celebrates July 4th, uh, that wasn't the day the war ended. The war went on for many years after that. But that was the day they declared, we want to be free. And then freedom eventually came. And so England grants them their freedom. America is now an independent nation. Now, as America becomes an independent nation... Uh, does that mean there is no rule of law anymore, that there, there is no leadership, that there is no structure? No, of course not. Uh, it was redefined. It was very different. Uh, but, you know, they, they value very highly their Constitution and their Bill of Rights. They value very highly their government and their Congress and their senators and the White House. And so there was still rule. There were still, it wasn't just, well, the king is gone now, so now everyone gets to do anything they want. Law was still important. It was just redefined and done in a a much healthier way where the tyranny was gone, the oppression was gone, the, the, the unfairness, the injustice was gone, and now they had freedom to live out their lives still with boundaries and still with structure, but with the freedom and, and in the freedom of the democracy that they have and that we have where you get to choose who's going to lead you. And if you don't like the job they're doing, then you can just vote someone in the next time and the tremendous freedom that that brings. And so the, the removal of the tyranny was not the end of all structure and all obedience and all law. It just redefined it in a different way. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul wants to make sure we know that, that even though he's been talking about we're not under the law anymore and, and we're not under that oppression, that, uh, you know, that earning and striving and working and, and trying to earn it, uh, that has been lifted. All of these things are good things. He wants to make sure, now that doesn't mean it's, hey, anything goes and God doesn't have any standards anymore. Uh, you can live and do whatever you want without consequence. He wants to make sure that we know that there is still something there, uh, but it is still freedom and it is still something that God is working in us. So let's take a look at our text We're in Galatians chapter 5. We're just going to read through the chapter today. Starting in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yikes. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But you are, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So as we've talked about throughout Galatians, Paul wants to make very clear from start to finish that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is just Jesus. We've been saying that over and over again, right? It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus some good works. It's not Jesus plus following the rules really well. It's not Jesus plus you got to check off a bunch of boxes. It's just Jesus. It's just him. It's what he has done for us in his death and resurrection. That's the gospel. There's nothing to be added to it. And the book of Galatians comes to really just hammer that point home, that the gospel is very simple and it's very pure. It's just Jesus. That's it. It's Jesus. And so God help anyone who tries to add to that. God help anyone who says it's Jesus plus these things. It's just Jesus. And he was so concerned that there were people coming into the Galatian church who were adding. They were saying it's Jesus plus the law. You have to put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to follow the rules to the point where God's happy enough that eventually he will save you. So even though you trust in Jesus, you need to get circumcised men because the law says you have to be circumcised and you have to follow that law. And those two things together are what will bring you to salvation. And Paul is there to say, no, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Because if it's not just Jesus, then that suggests that Jesus is not enough that the cross is not enough. The resurrection is not enough. And so Paul wants to make so clear that that's just the simple beauty of the good news. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's just Jesus. And so for the ones who were coming in, who he nicknames the circumcision group, because they were coming in saying, you got to be circumcised and follow the law. He's saying, no, they're adding to this gospel. And I want to bring you back just to the beautiful purity of the gospel. He said, Galatians, when you heard the gospel and believed, your sins were forgiven. You were filled with the spirit. You were brought back into relationship with God. Like that happened when you believed what you heard, not because you followed the rules so well. So why are you moving backwards now? Why are you trying to add to what God has already done in Jesus? We don't need to do that. Verse one of our text today says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In a way, you could say this is the book of Galatians in one verse. Like if you want to summarize the main argument that Paul has been making in lots of different ways from lots of different angles, this is what he's getting at. That Jesus in the good news has come to set you free. So don't go back into that bondage. Don't go back into that slavery. Don't go back into that legalism. Don't go back into that desire to earn it and try and make it happen by your own human effort. You're free from all of that. 
because of what Jesus has done. So this, I think, is Galatians in a nutshell. The whole book can be summed up in Galatians 5, verse 1. You were called to freedom. And when you are, are listening to preachers today, and, and we all you know, read our books and listen to our podcasts, and, uh, and it's a bit hard as a pastor because you're wanting to uh, protect your church from bad teaching that's out there, but how do you stop the internet, right? Like, it's just impossible to know. And so we'll just say things like this to try and help keep everybody on track, that if whatever teaching you're listening to is not bringing you into greater freedom, but bringing you into greater bondage, then I would question whether that is of God or not. And it can sound really good, and it can even sound biblical, right? The Pharisees were really good at Bible. The circumcision group had a lot of scripture they were pointing to, but the word of God comes by the spirit in the gospel to bring us into freedom. And if the teaching is bringing us back into bondage, then we should rightly at least question, why do I think that's the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is coming ultimately to set us free. Now, as we'll get to, it doesn't mean freedom to do whatever you feel like or freedom to sin or anything like that. But even when the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our sin, it's ultimately to bring us into freedom. There, there is a sense of uh, conviction that comes where we go, oh, I've been doing something wrong. I need to fix it. But it doesn't come with condemnation. It doesn't come with, with shame. It doesn't come with that heaviness. It comes with an excitement, actually, that's, oh, I'm going to be set free from this thing that God is drawing my attention to. He's ultimately leading me into a better place. The gospel comes to bring us increasingly into freedom in Jesus. We are free from sin. We're free from death, of course. We're free from separation from God. But we're free from that uh, tyranny of having to earn it and trying to make it happen ourselves. And again, never knowing, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? And I'm surprised by the number of Christians I meet uh, who will say things like, oh, I hope that when I stand before God, I've done enough to, to make him happy. And I go, you know, the Bible says you can know that right now. The Holy Spirit's the down payment that says you're good. You're good for all eternity. The, the Holy Spirit is the taste of heaven that you get to experience here on earth that guarantees the salvation that is to come. You can know now. And you didn't earn that Holy Spirit. And you didn't do enough good to make your way into right standing with God. It all comes as gift from him. That's freeing. From, from so many other uh, religions, philosophies, ideas in this world that says, I have to make this happen for myself. The gospel is the exact opposite of that. And it's one of the reasons sometimes people have a hard time accepting it, because it kind of sounds a little too good to be true. And in a way, it is too good to be true. Now, accepting it calls you to change, for sure. It calls you to an allegiance shift. It calls you to bow a knee to Jesus, and not everyone wants to do that. So it's not like there's no cost involved in that sense. But the freedom that we are brought into, the freedom that we are invited to, uh, the freedom ultimately from the law, right? The, the, this idea of the, the 613 commands and statutes and regulations that everyone was trying to live up to, and no one was able to do it. And Paul would say elsewhere in Romans and Corinthians, he would unpack it greater. He would say, no, the law was there to show you what your sin was. The law ultimately is there to condemn you. It's not there to free you. It's not there to save you. The law comes to condemn you because it says this is what God's holy standard is, and it highlights where you fall short of it. And so the law was never there to ultimately bring to freedom and bring to life. It was a step in God's plan that was ultimately going to point to Jesus. There was a well-known saying in the first century at the time these uh, scriptures were written in the New Testament. Uh, it was the saying of the Pharisees, which would say, take the yoke of the law upon yourself. 
As they are encouraging people to follow God the best way they know how, they would say, so take the yoke of the law upon yourself. Take the law, be faithful to it, work away at it, right? Get in the field. Uh, you know, this is your job as someone who is trying to please the Lord. Take the yoke of the law upon yourself. And so that would be a phrase that would have been well known uh, both to Paul and to Jesus. Jesus would say something actually kind of different in Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30. He would say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What Jesus brings us into is so much easier than the yoke of the law, right? Here's this burden on you, and then so here's the 613. You want to know how many you've broken this morning, everyone in the room? A lot of them. And you can go Google 613 laws, and you'll get a list. And as you read the list, you're like, I break a lot of these all the time. I mean, obvious ones and then not so obvious ones. Like the the burden of trying to make that happen, of I'm going to fulfill this burden that God has put on. And when the, the sort of saying at the time in the Jewish faith was, take the yoke of the law upon yourself, and people would, and they would try, and I got to work really hard, and I got to make this happen, and I got to just, uh, just through my own sheer will and effort find holiness and through my own will and effort find the way to please God and then Jesus comes along and says no not the yoke of the law take my yoke my yoke is easier my yoke is light because in Jesus he took all the burden himself at the cross and then he gives us something very very different he just says come and walk with me Come and receive the gift that I'm giving. That's a lot easier. That is a lot lighter. That is a lot more freeing uh, than, than anything else that we can imagine. So it's not that there's no rules anymore. It's not that there's no uh, standards anymore, right? To follow Jesus is still to say, well, I'm following you, and I'm following your teaching, and I'm still called to obedience, and I'm called to, to walk in your way. But it's understanding that the teachings of Jesus bring us into freedom, ultimately. They bring us into life. Because Jesus said, my word is life. And so we follow after him, and we believe Jesus fulfilled everything in the law and then shows us, now follow me and walk after me. So the tyranny of trying to achieve the law is over. Now we are yoked with Jesus, and we walk in obedience to him as he shows us the way to please God and everything that God requires from us. Moving on, verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That the law had, again, all those rules and regulations, including circumcision. Circumcision was the sign that someone belonged to the Lord. And this group was coming in and saying, yes, Jesus, but Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus law. Uh, you have to add to what Jesus has done. You have to have some human effort involved with what Jesus has already done. And so as they're wrestling over circumcision in the early church, it's not that circumcision itself is is good or bad Paul would say but it's just it's the symbol of what you're putting your hope in that's the problem because if you're thinking by being circumcised that's how I'm going to be saved because that's part of the law that's a huge problem that's where Paul says well you've fallen away from grace then Because the understanding of the gospel is it comes to us by grace. It's the gift of God. It comes out of his mercy. It comes out of his goodness. And so if you're getting circumcised because you think that's going to make you right with God, then you've just missed grace. You're trying to earn it. 
You're taking it on yourself to make this happen. And it's really the, the struggle and the problem with the law. We visited this verse earlier in our series, Deuteronomy 27, 26, says, cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Back in Galatians 3, Paul would talk about that verse and say, if you don't perfectly fulfill those 613 things, you're under a curse, right? That's, that's the standard. And Paul would say that was the point. The point of the law was to show you where you're a sinner so you will recognize that you need a savior. It wasn't that you were going to earn it on your own. And so to say, well, let's be circumcised and let's go backwards, Paul's going, no, you don't want to go back to that. You don't want to go back to earning. You don't want to go back to never knowing. You don't want to go back to putting your trust in that thing. Put your trust in Jesus. Don't put your trust in yourself. Putting your trust in yourself is exhausting. Because again, when do you ever know if you've done enough? And I'm just well aware, even as I can say objectively, I'm better at obeying God today than I was 20 years ago. I've, I've grown. I've been transformed. I can say that objectively. At the same time, I'm still very aware of where I fall short. I'm still very aware of my sin. And no amount of earning solves the problem of your sin. Right? We talked about this. I follow Canadian law really well. But if I rob the bank tomorrow, I don't get to go to the judge and say, like, well, what about all the days I didn't rob a bank? What about all the good laws that I followed? What about all the times I was obedient? Obedience is great. It doesn't cancel out or solve the problem of your sin. Jesus does that on the cross, and he's the only thing that does it. It's the only thing that solves the sin problem, and so we need him. We don't want to go back to the oppression of trying to earn it ourselves in the law. Uh, no one wants to move back to that. Moving on to verse 5. For through the Spirit... We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so you, you have this righteousness now that comes by faith. We are waiting for it to be fully realized the day that we see Jesus face to face. And we're kind of in that like kid at Christmas phase um, which is, you know, we're going to be at Christmas in like another six months. Eh? We're halfway around the calendar again. Um, <laughs> We're there, basically. It's, it's basically, we're going to see the commercials, like, next week. <laughs> but it's fun. I always said growing up, like, when you're a kid, Christmas was fun in our household, and then I became, like, a young adult, and then it's like, Christmas is still fun, but you're, it's not kind of magical in the same way. And then you have kids, and then it gets magical again, and that's, that's fun to watch. And so to be in that sort of anticipatory, we know this is coming. Right? Like kids know Christmas Day is coming. It's not an if, right? It's coming. They know it's coming. And that is the fullness of the gospel for us. We know it's coming. The fullness of it is coming. We have tasted it now. We experience it now. The fullness of it is on its way. But it's so important for us to understand this is that the kid doesn't have to work to make Christmas happen. Right? It happens. And, and they don't have to make the gifts happen. The parents give the gifts. Right? Salvation isn't something we work for. It's something that we wait for. It's something that we receive 
as a gift. And we're in that anticipatory, exciting kind of butterfly stage where we know the fullness of it is coming. We get a taste of it now. The Christmas season, there's signs everywhere, right? And there's the music and the food and the traditions and all those things. It's all building to Christmas Day. And that's where we are in faith right now. And Paul says that while we're in that stage now where we've received you know, the, the blessing of the gospel, we'll receive the fullness of it yet to come. We're in this anticipatory state. He says, your job now is to live your life with faith expressing itself through love. That's what matters. It's not about following, you know, the, the Old Testament laws and circumcision and those things. He says, what matters is faith expressing itself through love. Here's the thing. When faith in your life starts expressing itself through love, you start obeying what God wants you to do anyway. Not because you're trying to check off a bunch of things on a checklist, but because that's what faith and love do when they start working together. Uh, many times in the New Testament, it talks about what Paul talks about in a moment here, about the whole law gets summed up in love. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law. The 613 things get summed up in one. They get reduced and simplified so beautifully in one statement, which is love your neighbor. And it's not to say, again, that there aren't any standards or things we need to do anymore, but it's that when you get love right, you fulfill those things automatically. Not because you're trying to fulfill things, but just because love naturally is generous. Love naturally protects other people. Love naturally seeks to be a blessing. When you love God, you naturally want to do what he wants you to do. You naturally want to choose the good path. Love brings you there, so get love right, and everything else will follow. Moving on, verse 7. You were running a good race, Paul says to the Galatians. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Paul really likes using athletic metaphors. He'll use the race thing many times in his letters and wrestling and different things. Um, and, and again, we see sort of a parental correction uh, that we've talked about already in this series. And he's, he's sort of cheering them on and rebuking them at the same time, right? You guys were doing great. Like someone cut in on you. Someone cut you off. Someone's taken you in the wrong direction. Like what has happened to you? You started off so well. You grabbed onto Jesus, you were full of the Holy Spirit, you were experiencing the freedom that only the Holy Spirit can bring, and then someone came along and just kind of got in the way. Someone interrupted the good thing that was happening here, and it's taking you in the wrong direction. And just a good warning for all of us that any of us can start off well and potentially move in the wrong direction. So just a, a gentle warning for us that we want to take seriously what we believe and, and that's part of being in a church family is that we lean on each other and we help each other and we hold each other accountable and we help each other understand the scriptures and we wrestle through scripture together and we pray together and we support one another. Um, but the warning is there that we just want to be aware of. And he uses this picture of yeast, uh, which is something that is used elsewhere in scripture as well. Jesus would say, beware the yeast of the Pharisees in Matthew 16, 6, meaning their bad teaching, their false teaching. And yeast is something, it gets used as this picture of false teaching because, uh, you know, when you're making your bread, you're making your dough, uh, the yeast is not overpowering as a substance, right? There's way more flour than there is yeast. There's way more other ingredients. Yeast is just a little tiny thing, but eventually it gets worked through the whole thing. That, that bad teaching has a way of spreading. And so there's a warning there from Jesus, again here from Paul, just be aware. Um, you know, sometimes things don't even sound that off. They're just a little bit off. Um, but it has a way of working its way through. Sometimes uh, if 
I'm hanging out with certain people, I go like, there's just something in what they're saying, uh, and it just it even sounds biblical sometimes, but it's just a little bit off, and that's where we're always checking the word ourselves, and you've heard me say this, even the stuff that I say, you check the word yourself, don't just, don't just automatically take everything I'm saying to you, you go to the word on your own, you, go, you find people that you trust, that you can go to the word together and figure stuff out together, uh, we always want to be gracious and, and have a good attitude about it, we don't want to be arrogant or self-righteous, but we want to just be aware, and and scripture, I don't think, would warn us of these things if they weren't things that uh, could possibly happen if we're not careful. Verse 10 through 12, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for these agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves, which is just one of the great verses in all of Scripture, right? What a shocker. Paul's getting a little sassy as he's coming to the end of his letter. So he says, the one who's throwing you off, uh, they'll pay the penalty. It's, it's God will deal with that person, right? The person who is teaching these false things, God will deal with that person. Paul uh, is not ever in his writings personally calling for judgment or, or justice or, or I'm going to do that. Um, God will deal with that person. And he talks in there about the offense of the cross. And again, just the, the, the challenge of the cross to our human nature, which again, naturally wants to earn it, right? Naturally, surely I have to do something. How many times over the years have I been sharing the gospel with someone and heard them say some version of, surely I have to do something, right? I have to contribute something. Every other relationship in our life, we, it's kind of two-way, right? Like you, you, in a marriage, you're both giving and taking. And in a friendship, you're giving and taking. And in a family, you're giving and taking. In a church family, you're giving and taking. There's a, a back and forth. And yet the, the offense of the cross, that Jesus went to the cross, first of all, and Paul would talk in Corinthians, like, that's a stumbling block for a lot of people, that, that a God would do that, that a God in power would make himself weak, that a God who is holy would clothe himself with shame and, and die in this shameful way, that a God who is sovereign over all would allow himself to experience pain and ultimately to experience death. Like, it, it is a tricky thing for the human nature side of us to get our heads around, that, that there's this thing being offered that doesn't look like power. It doesn't look like healing. It doesn't look like something that a sovereign God would do. It actually looks kind of the opposite, that Jesus would go to a criminal's cross and die a criminal's death, and, and in that be covered in shame as he did that. That's not what you would expect from God. If you were God, you would probably say the nice thing about being God is I don't have to do any of those things. And Jesus does all of those things for our sake. And then with that, it's, hey, it's available to you as a gift by grace that you don't have to earn. And that's offensive to our human nature, which always wants to do, to do, to do. One of the reasons God gives us Sabbath is because one day a week, we need to retrain our brain that we don't have to do anything, that the world will spin without us for 24 hours, that we can just rest and trust in him. It's a picture of the gospel every time that it happens. And so Paul says there's this offense of the cross. Um, when it comes to circumcision, you know, he says, if I was still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? His point is, because I'm not preaching circumcision, that's why I am being persecuted. I am being attacked and I'm being, you know, slandered and, and misrepresented by this circumcision group because I'm no longer preaching that anymore. And this thing, uh, in the defense of the early church as they were wrestling with this, of the Jewish people who were coming to Jesus, circumcision was the sign 
that someone belonged to God, and it came from Abraham. And it was in the scripture that they had, right? So in their defense, you can't really blame them necessarily for wrestling with it. They're trying to get their heads around a brand new idea that we don't need to do that anymore. And in that, you know, in the frustration that he has with this group, uh, Paul just lays this great line, I wish these people would just go all the way and emasculate themselves. Like, if you like circumcision so much, why don't you just go all the way? And, and you know, that's, you can wrestle with that line a little bit. Um, but I think there's, there's two main things that I think he could be saying in that. And number one is that according to the law, if you were castrated, you weren't allowed to participate in worship. And so the, the early church moved away from that. Eunuchs were invited in. But in the Old Testament law, if you were castrated, you weren't allowed to participate in worship. So it's possible Paul's saying, hey, law guys who love the law so much, if you like circumcision so much, why don't you just finish the job? And when that happens, you're not going to be allowed to hang out with us anymore, right? You won't be allowed to be a part of this church because you're going to have to follow the law that you're trying to follow so much. And that way, the church will be safe from your false teaching. So that's one thing he might be saying. The other thing he might be saying is, um, obviously, if you are emasculated, you are not procreating. And so it's possible that he's saying, hey, why don't you just go the whole way, finish it off, and then you'll stop reproducing all this bad teaching that you're sowing out there. Um, I guess it's also possible he's just being a jerk and getting a zinger in to a group that he really doesn't like. And that is possible as well. I think it's probably one of the first two and probably the first one if I had to take a guess. It was just a way of saying, go all the way and get out of my life. Like, stop hurting this church. Um, there's not a lot of grace. I have seen this in scripture. I've seen this in my own life. Uh, for the leaders who hurt the church, who do damage to the church, God deals with those people because they're his sheep and he wants to keep them safe. And so I think the, the intensity of that language, the intensity, again, it's kind of a shocking statement, uh, is probably God's way of saying through Paul, you need to be removed from the Galatian church so that you'll stop teaching all these things that you are teaching. Let's keep going. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So again, we can take freedom way too far. This is what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians. There were Christians there who were receiving the gospel, and they're saying, hey, Jesus paid the price for sin, he has given us freedom and, and forgiveness and the fullness of grace in the gospel. Therefore, let's just go out and keep sinning because it's all forgiven anyway. And Paul would hit the first Corinthian church very hard in that letter of just absolutely not. That's an affront to the gospel. God has set you free from sin so that you don't sin anymore. Not so that you can keep sinning and just keep going back and going grace, 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 taking grace and freedom way too far. So Paul wants to make sure we know just because we are free, it doesn't mean it's free to do anything you feel like. So don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. And the word flesh is one that shows up in the New Testament a lot. Uh, oh, look at that. That's Barbecue season is upon us. Flesh is something that in the New Testament, it can mean just your body, like flesh and blood. It can mean your body. Typically, it is used to mean uh, our sinful side, the, the, the side that still struggles, the side that still wants things that are contrary to what God wants, the things, the part of us that craves things that it shouldn't crave. Um, yeah, it can mean flesh, meaning flesh and blood. That's like pretty under-seasoned, eh, John? That's not, they need to do better on that steak before they throw it on the grill. But the, the, the side of us that is not fully submitted to God, the side of us that still struggles, 
Um, Paul would use the analogy of the spirit and the flesh are, are in conflict with each other, right? There's, there's part of us, he would talk about in Romans 7, there's part of me that wants to do God's things, but there's still part of me that struggles to do God's, what God wants. And, and there's just this, this wrestling match going on inside of us. And so he's saying, don't use your freedom to do that. In the name of grace, don't use grace to keep on sinning uh, because that would be actually just trading your freedom for more slavery, except slavery to sin now instead of slavery to the law and trying to go that way. Uh, we talked about democracy earlier in the, the service. Another direction things went in the 20th century was in Russia. The Russian Revolution, 1917, it breaks out. And that's where the communists took over. And that's where communism actually spread all around the world in a lot of different places. Uh, a lot of governments decided to try and follow that model. And the heart of communism... Okay, the thing about communism is this. On paper, it kind of makes sense. On paper, the theory of it kind of makes sense that, you know, we want everyone to be equal. Uh, we don't want these great disparities of wealth. And so we're just going to, we're going to treat the farmer the same way we treat the doctor, the same way we treat the McDonald's worker, the same way we treat. And so it kind of makes sense, but, uh, but it just never worked ever. Anywhere they tried it, it never worked. And actually, anywhere they tried it, and again, they tried it all over the world, all different parts of the world, in, in Asia and in Europe and in South America and in Africa, and everywhere a communist government took over, it just led to even more oppression than was there before. And so the heart of the revolution in Russia was there's the king, there's a czar on the throne, and he's oppressive and he's wealthy and you're poor and he's taking advantage of you, so let's overthrow the czar and then we'll have equality. And then what ended up happening is they overthrew the czar and the same ones who were just saying we're here to fight for you just ended up taking over those seats of power and wealth and privilege and being actually more oppressive than the czar had ever been and we saw that repeated over and over and over again and and goodness knows democracy is far from perfect but there is something about uh, the communist model that just seems to lend itself to dictators. It just seems to lend itself to oppression. And so Paul's saying don't trade your freedom for more slavery to sin. Right? Sin by its nature is addictive, and Jesus has come to set us free from that. We don't want to, uh, to get caught up in that again. But he says, use your freedom now to live out that freedom, serving one another humbly in love. There is still stuff to do, not to earn your salvation, but there is still stuff to do in terms of now live this out. Live out the freedom. Live out the grace of God. Live out the forgiveness of sin. Live out the goodness of God that you have experienced. Live it out now, Dallas Willard says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And so it doesn't mean there's not anything for us to do now as Christ followers, because Paul says, so now serve one another, right? Live out the, the law of love. There are things to do. We're just not doing it to earn our salvation. We're not doing it to earn God's favor. We're not doing it to earn God's blessing. We believe we've received that by his goodness and by his grace. And so we serve one another humbly and in love because actually there's a tremendous amount of freedom there. Right? Serving one another is an amazing thing. Humility is an amazing thing. Love is an amazing thing. And so live that out now. Now that you have been set free and the chains have been broken and the grace of God has come, now you live out that freedom in this way. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Talk about simplifying. From 613 things down to one, love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So it all gets boiled down, simplified. Uh, the law still, you know, the standards of it are still there, but it gets simplified as this because when you love your neighbor as yourself, then you're not going to lie to them. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to harm them in any way. You're going to want what's best for them. You're going to sacrifice for them. So get love right and everything God requires of us is fulfilled as we love well, as he's called us to love well. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And again, just a, a warning. Uh, for those of us in churches, because churches can do that, right? You start biting and sniping at each other and dividing over over small things and getting self-righteous and looking down on others. And so there's a warning there. No, you love. You love your neighbor as yourself. And love, you've heard me say this before, to me is best symbolized in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Just one of those crystal clear seeming verses of what is love? How do you define love? Well, there's a lot of different things you could say. The Bible would define it in a few different ways. I like this definition, though. How do we know what love is? Love is Jesus going to the cross and dying for you. That's what love looks like. That's a great definition of love. It has been personified in Jesus and demonstrated at the cross. And out of that, because that's been done for us, now you go do that for others. You lay your life down. You put others first. You don't say it's my way or the highway. You don't say, well, I'm right and you're wrong and that's it. Like you live a life of other-centered sacrifice where you acknowledge that you're a human, they're a human, we're all broken, we all make mistakes, but Jesus is at the center of all of it and Jesus is the most important thing ever. So much more important than my agenda. So much more important than the way I think things should be done. So much more important than anything else. And so Jesus comes into the center. The gospel comes into the center. And then as a church family, you can agree to disagree on some of the disputable things. And you say, hey, we're all in this together. And, and no one has it perfectly figured out. But we'll be gracious to one another. We're not going to elevate ourselves and say, we're right and you're wrong. And we're the ones who care about the Bible. And you're the ones who don't. We avoid all of that. And we say, hey, Jesus died and demonstrated God's love for us in that way. So how can I lay down my life for you today? What can I do to serve you humbly in love today? What can I do to put you first today? This is the way of Jesus. It's not the way of self-elevation. It's the way of humility. It's not the way of getting what you want. It's the way of laying your life down. This is the way of Christ. And so you can see now as we're going through it, oh, so it's not necessarily uh, that there's not stuff to do, right? We still have to do these things. You still have to serve. You still have to lay your life down. There is a cost involved in following after Jesus, but it's coming out of the gratitude of what he's done for us. I'm not doing it to try and earn my place in his standing. I'm not doing it to try and earn the blessings of God. Those things have come to me freely in the gospel. And now out of my gratitude for the grace that I've received, I'm going to give that grace everywhere I go. For my gratitude of the mercy that I've received, I'm going to be merciful. For the generosity that I've received, I'm going to be generous. For the forgiveness that I've received, I'm going to be forgiving. For the goodness that I've received, I'm going to be good to people. Not because I'm trying to earn anything, but because I'm just so grateful for what he's done in me. And out of the overflow of the Spirit doing those things in me, I now seek to live that out and give it away, which is where Paul goes as we get ready to wrap up. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so the, the solution that scripture gives to almost every problem on this side of the cross is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you struggling with sin? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't know what to do with your kids? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not sure what this scripture means? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's there all throughout that when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you a helper and the helper's gonna walk with you with everything you need. And so if Jesus said there's a helper that you need, then I guess we probably need that helper and seeking after that helper should be a priority for the people of God. Where are we seeking after the filling of the Holy Spirit? A few weeks ago, Kaylee had a competition, dance competition up in Niagara Falls. And so we went up to the falls. She was dancing in the morning and then she was done. And uh, my kids had actually never seen the falls. We'd never been up there. And so we you know, were there anyway. We're here in town. Let's go to the falls. And, uh, and so we took some time in the afternoon. We walked down and I hadn't been there in, in quite some time. I used to work at a church near there and I would go all the time, but I hadn't been there in many years. And it's one of those things like the pictures just don't justify it. Like the videos don't justify it. Like when you're actually there, and you can walk all the way down on the Canadian side. These are the Horseshoe Falls. And you can actually walk to the very edge. And it's like the falls are right there. Like as far from me and Mike. Like there, that's how close you are. And just the sound and just the, the tonnage of water that is pouring over and the spray that goes up. And, and just this picture of, of the power of the water and everything that goes with it. And as I was there looking at all of it, I heard the Lord say from Jesus speaking in John's gospel, the spirit is given without limit. The Holy Spirit is given without limit. That's the word of the Lord in the scripture. Like, like that's what's available to us. You read the book of Acts, that's what's available. Because God says the Spirit is given without limit on his end. So any limits that are on the Holy Spirit come from us. Right? The limits of the time we're willing to give, the effort we're willing to make to seek after him, the room we're making in our life for him to move, the, the seeking after him. But man, if the, the solution to walking in holiness is be filled with the spirit, then that has to be a priority. Because then if I'm filled with the spirit, then I won't gratify the desires of the flesh, Paul says. So if I want to get rid of that sin in my life, the solution is there. Be filled with the spirit. And if you're not sure how to do that or where, where to go with that, it starts with just asking, Lord, fill me with your spirit. When there's prayer at the end of the service, come on up and pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And as you find places in your life where you feel close to God, you go to those places and say, Lord, draw me close to you. Fill me with your spirit. Because that's everything. That's the helper that Jesus promised us. It's the helper to walking in God's way. It's the helper to overcoming sin. It's the helper to discerning God's will. It's the helper to blessing other people. It's the helper to sharing the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit so desperately. And we are called to be filled and refilled and refilled and refilled. There's a war going on inside of us, Paul says. They're in conflict. Our flesh and the spirit inside us are in conflict. And so uh, the picture always gets used like, well, if there's two dogs that are fighting, which dog is going to win? It's going to be the dog that's stronger. Right? So what are you strengthening in your life? Are you strengthening your flesh or are you strengthening the spirit? And as we make room for the spirit, the change begins to happen. And that's how Paul uh, begins to, to wrap it up now as it relates to the spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So, and the like means this is not an exhaustive list, right? This is, this is anything sinful. Uh, anything sinful. So there's a partial list there. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the flesh wants things that are not good. And that's normal and it's natural, but it's not good. And so the flesh craves things that are contrary to what God wants, that are contrary to loving other people well, to treating other people well. Uh, it's not an exhaustive list. But he says the, the acts are obvious. And so in your own life, what are the acts of the flesh? And I'll tell you, they're obvious. You know what they are, right? You know the things you crave. You know the things you do. You know the things that you shouldn't be doing, but are going there anyway. So the acts of the flesh, here's a list of sins. Contrary to that, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So here's what's fascinating. This was fresh for me as I prepared this week, is that Paul has just said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Here's a list of sins. Now he says on the other side of that, the fruit of the spirit, what he doesn't do is here's a list of good works. Right? You would have, it would have kind of made sense to say, well, the act of the flesh is sexual immorality. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is sexual purity. The act of the flesh is drunkenness. The act of the spirit is sobriety or whatever, right? But what he doesn't do is replace that list of bad actions with a list of good actions because the whole point of this book is it's not about your good actions. It's not about you fulfilling a list of rules really well. And so Paul, when he's talking about the fruit of the spirit under the inspiration of the spirit, does not give us a to-do list of things to do to make the Holy Spirit happy. He says the acts of the flesh are this list of sins, but not the acts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are these much deeper, much richer character qualities that the Spirit develops in us. And he uses that word fruit, not the actions, but the fruit. Because as long as fruit stays connected to the vine, it grows naturally on its own. So this is not, here's a to-do list, work on your love, work on your patience, work on your self-control. No, this is when you're walking in the Spirit, the fruit will naturally come. And as these deeper character qualities are developed of love and peace and patience and kindness, all the other stuff is going to follow out of that. Because when I have good control, as good self-control developed by the Spirit, I'm not going to be reaching for things I shouldn't be reaching for. And when the love is developing in me by the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to sin against people and hurt them because love's going to motivate me to treat them as God wants me to treat them. So it's not replace this list of bad actions with a list of good actions. It's replace this list of bad actions with the Holy Spirit. And we often de define character uh, as Christians as the things we do and just as often the things we don't do. And so when I was in the Pentecostal church, the joke was a good Pentecostal doesn't smoke, drink, or swear or dance. We don't do any of those things. Dancing and worship was questionable, uh, depending on what it looked like. And so we define, well, I'm a good Christian because I do these things, or more often, I don't do these things. And this passage says, no, actually, character is not about the list of do's and don'ts. Character is about the character that the Holy Spirit is developing you on a much deeper and a much richer level. And so we can't make it happen either. And that's the other thing. You can't make fruit happen. 
right? Fruit grows, God creates life. God makes it happen, and God does the work in us. Now, we live in greenhouse country, and so we know, right? Mike, you know very well, we can't make things grow, but we also know there are conditions that we can put in place that will help life to grow. So God still makes those vegetables grow in the greenhouse. What the greenhouse workers have learned is if we set the conditions right, uh, we can really see God's life grow really well. And so that is our job, is where do we connect with the Spirit? Where do we pray? Where do we get into the Word? Where do we connect with brothers and sisters in Christ? Where do we set the conditions that we can be filled with the Spirit, and then He will develop the life within us? He will transform us. He will make us grow. He will make that happen. Come on up, worship team. We went a little long today. It's a long chapter. Last verse, two verses. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So again, that, that, becoming conceited is not loving. Thinking you're better than somebody else is not loving. Looking down on other Christians or looking down on other churches or whatever, that's not loving. Provoking and envying one another, none of that fulfills that law of love. But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It all comes back to the Holy Spirit. So when you said yes to Jesus... You became a new creation right then, right? Like by definition, that was the day your new life started. You were born again. And so Paul says, now live that out. Live out what has already been worked out in you. Live out the good thing that God has already done in you. Be filled with the Spirit. As you are filled with the Spirit, you will do what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul says, will uh, search the deep things of God and bring the revelation to us. Jesus said he would take the things that heaven knows and he would make those things known to us. Be filled with the Spirit. And when that happens, you'll walk in step with the Spirit. And when you walk in step with the Spirit, you are walking in step with God himself who has been pleased to come and make his home in you and lead you exactly in the way that you should go. And so between what the Spirit is doing in us, what the Spirit has revealed through the Scripture, as we continue to grow in these things, we find God's way. And as we are filled with the Spirit, our character gets transformed, the sinful stuff gets replaced with the good fruit that God wants to build. And as that happens, obedience just becomes so much easier. Oh my God, you know how much easier it is to follow God when you want to follow God? as opposed to your flesh going, oh, I want to go in my own direction. Like, let him do the work in you. We want to take next steps on upward, inward, and outward. And inwardly, we're wanting him to do the transforming work in us. And then as that happens, obedience becomes so much easier. And then we want to walk in the ways of God. We want to please him. We want to love others and put them first. All of it comes together. We just have the priorities wrong when we're trying to just do it by our own effort alone, which is, again, part of the point of the whole book. Would you stand with me, please? I know that was a lot today. We covered a lot of ground. Congratulations and thank you for sticking with me through that. Uh, we're going to worship, and then we will jump into our prayer time at the end. And the altars will be open for anyone who even just wants to say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need more of you this morning.